Christmas Day, the title of the message is Patiently Waiting, which is the very words upon our passage finished in Romans 8 verse 25. When we were children, we could probably still remember that the most difficult part of Christmas was simply waiting for it to come. Days seemed like weeks, weeks like seasons. This is because when when you're a child, time seems to pass by very slowly or even stand still. As we get older, things don't change all that much. Uh, We discover that waiting is foreign to our society. As we get older, it seems unnatural to have to wait. The idea of delayed satisfaction is a stranger to our thinking. We hunger for immediate gratification. And the symbols are all around us. The fast food industry it has boomed because we don't have time to prepare a meal to eat. When part of the actual joy of Christmas and Easter and some of our birthday celebrations is you spend the whole day preparing the food in preparation for the people to come or even the whole week is preparation. That's certainly in South America and I think it's what it's like in Africa and what it used to be like in Australia. And so much of that uh, can even drive, uh, you know, we have these drive-through places where we can't even, there's all these cars queuing up to talk to the person taking your order and you say, and then there's about 10 cars in front of us. I can't wait to drive through fast food. Can you see the, anyway? I, like you, reluctantly accept most of our no-wait approach to modern life. But the truth is that although we do not like waiting, it is very much a part of living We must wait for payday, to take a break, to get home, and especially this time of year. There's waiting in line at the shops, at the airports and on the roads. And trying to inquire about your lost luggage that's been missing for over a week. Every time I get on the phone and I ring him every day, I get this, it sounds like this message, I'm just paraphrasing. Your call is important to us. Please stay on the line until your call is no longer important to you. (laughs) After half an hour, you just hang up, right? And in all these things, let us be mindful that these are first world problems. Many parts of the world, people don't know where their next meal is going to come from. But there are also some more other issues that we wait for, isn't there? Uh, Waiting can be pure agony for students who had to wait for their HSC results. An expectant mother waits for delivery of a life growing inside of her for most of nine months. Some wait for a health diagnosis based upon these results. Some wait for an operation for health to return, or in some cases, some have no choice but simply waiting to die. If this has never happened to you, get ready for it, because death is a part of life. 
When it comes to patiently waiting, there can be a misunderstanding as to what it actually means today when compared to what it meant in biblical times. Uh, Although most people today consider patience to be this passive waiting or even a gentle putting up, gentle tolerance, most of the Greek words translated patience in the New Testament are nothing of the sort. They are actually active, robust words. Okay, let me explain it another way. When you, Some of you have probably got the roast in the oven. And when you put the roast, you place it in there, but you don't stop whatever else you are doing and you just sit there in front of the oven waiting for two or three hours for the jolly thing to cook. You don't do that. You do other stuff. You might even come to church while your roast is cooking. This Christmas morning is a reminder that Christmas story is also about waiting. There was the waiting for the Messiah to come that was announced by the Old Testament prophets. The expectation that was built up with each prophet, they built up upon the past and it kept on building until the silence of 400 years before the Messiah arrived. Now, God's children are also in eager expectation, waiting for Jesus to return. So let's look about this waiting thing under three headings. First of all, God is waiting. From 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He's what? He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the Apostle Peter who is reminding his readers who are going through persecution and suffering that they need to be patient. How long, O Lord, is the cry of the psalmist, isn't it? It's not just about us who are waiting. The Apostle Peter reminds us that in fact God is also waiting. He's patient. Maybe Peter looks at at his character when he was younger, the impetuous nature of his character who, you know, just wanted to get things done pretty quickly. Jesus was very patient with him, wasn't he? He is now an old man, an elder shepherd, and he writes these simple words to those of us who are longing for the day of the Lord. 2 Peter 3.15 says, Bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. It's interesting, isn't it? Patience, salvation in the Lord's hands. And the thing for us to understand is that Scripture time and time again tells us that God's clock is wound up in a different way. Time is different to him. We look at seconds, he looks at ages. And in this waiting, God tells us, his people, that we too must wait, just as he is waiting. Consider this, it took God five days to create the heavens and the earth. 
the sun, the moon and every living thing. On the sixth day, one day to fashion man in his own image. Unfortunately, man's sin affected God's relationship with man. So ever since that, ever since the fall, God has been working on restoring man back to him. It's not just a a mass thing like, okay, press a button, delete all sins, you know, like on your computer. No, he does it one life at a time. How long is that going to take? I don't know. How many people resist the work of God in their lives? God has been calling them, drawing them near to him, calling them. And they resist, they resist, they resist. How long are you going to resist? How long have you been praying for your loved ones to come to the Lord, to come back to him? Have you given up? That is why he says he's patient with you. And there's a purpose on his patience. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's his will. That's what he wants. For people to come to him. So therefore we we need to, even when we cry, Lord, come now, please. This messed up world, we've had enough. Please come. And as we do so, let's, let's remember that if the Lord comes, the opportunity for our loved one to be saved will be gone. So, Lord, come, but not before my loved ones turn to you. Not before our friends, not before we see revival in our country. When we see the old order restored. Something we need to understand also about God's timing is that it is perfect. Just as all God's ways are perfect, King David said, as for God, his ways are perfect. His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. God's timing is never early and it's never been late. In fact, from before our birth until the moment we take our last earthly breath, our sovereign God is accomplishing his very purposes in our lifetimes. He is in complete control of everything and everyone from everlasting to everlasting. We think and we can see that this world is a mess. Yes. And as we look around, who who would disagree? God knows what is waiting for us next year, right? But no event in history, big, Small has put so much of a wrinkle in the timing of God's eternal plan, which he designed before the foundation of the world. And our mind just gets lost in the wonder of it all. Despite appearances to the contrary, it's all coming together perfectly in God's plans. 
So God is waiting, creation is also waiting. Romans 8, 19 and 22, creation waits in the eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And then we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Because you see, it wasn't just man's relationship with God which was affected at the fall, it was also God's relationship with creation. For this reason, the Bible tells us that nature groans in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. This is, this is, you gotta get your head around this. This is one of those remarkable passages of scripture that takes a while to, to really understand. But it all makes sense. Let's look at it. In Genesis 3, sin brought four curses, didn't it? The curse on Satan, the curse on Adam and Eve, and then the curse on the earth itself. Yes, the very beautiful world that God, the perfect world that God had created, suffered as a victim of the rebellion of man. Everything that lives is subject to disease. Animal, birds, fish, flowers, trees. Everything that is living is tainted to some degree by death. That's why some people find it so hard to believe in the love of God when we see so many disasters. It isn't easy to connect the diseases and the, and the survival instinct of animals who, you know, survival of the fittest out there in the, in the wilderness, in the jungle. But it's all related to human sin. What happened at the garden has implications, had implications for all of creation. And because of the fall, this earth is under the curse from God. In Genesis 3.17, this is what he says, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Curse is the ground because of you. Curse is the ground because of you. You can't miss it. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Yes, nature is amazingly beautiful. But imagine what it would have been like before the fall. And yes, nature is, is singing. But by and large, when nature sings, it is, a, it is a sad song because it is a song of bondage. Yet it sings in hope, looking forward to the day, a day when it shall step into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, those who are musically minded, as we know, we, there's a few of them around here, so I'm not going to pretend that I'm, uh, I'm an expert in music, but someone said that all of the, the sounds of nature are in a minor key. 
all of the sad songs, you know, that Elton John sings about? Minor key. Listen to the sighing of the wind, the roaring of the tide. If you have visited the Northern Hemisphere, the, the, the howling of the wolf in the night air, the minor key. This is the nature, nature groaning. Now, I don't have to give you much proof of this, the, the intensity of, of, of what is happening in our world, the frequency of earthquakes, hurricanes, and tornadoes, and floods, and droughts, and tidal waves, and famine. Yes. In a real way, man is to blame for climate change. But you know what I'm saying, right? It goes back to Genesis. That's the ultimate cause of climate change, man's sin. It's not because you drive a V8 or because you're eating meat or because you don't recycle. No. Go back to Genesis. Original sin in the garden. And our Lord Jesus told us that these things would intensify, they will in fact intensify as his coming draws nearer and nearer. The groaning will become louder and louder. Yes, we care for nature the same way we care for our bodies. But we all know that even eventually this earthly tent, we will have to let it go and bury it in the ground someday or cremate it. But the good news is both here and is yet to come. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the entire natural order, cursed by man's sin, is, is compared to a mother in, in the final moments before giving birth. The, the, the intensity of the pain, the, the closeness of it increases. Both, those of you who have had children, you know what I'm talking about. Because the delivery is soon. And what are we awaiting for? Well, we are waiting our rebirth, a release. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This is the new heavens and the new earth. This is what we sing about. This is what... We look forward to. This is what gives you comfort, what gives you hope as you bury your parents. What gives you hope as a believer and saying, this is not the end. This is see you later. And yes, you grieve the loss and you, all of that, but you read passages like this, like this and you're saying, no, no, no. There is something glorious awaiting us. For this reason, for this reason, my last point, God's children are waiting as well. Verses 23 to 25. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it, and there it is, patiently. There is an attraction, isn't there, of, of people who are able to make their faith simple. And I admire that. But I do get a little bit worried when it, when it is um, used as a bit of a sales pitch by an evangelist. Like, you know, find Jesus, be saved, and, and that will take care of everything in your life. All is finished, done, complete, settled. Just raise your hands. But I think we need to be honest in our evangelism when we share about Jesus. Making a decision to follow Christ is just the beginning. It is a significant step. You have to start somewhere, but it's the start of a journey, the start of a, an odyssey, a, a, a challenge. We must then begin the struggle in the presence of darkness. If anything, the, the groaning after you give your life to Christ intensifies because you can see your eyes are open to what is happening, that this you don't know all the legislation that has been brought forth. And they say, no, that's not what it's supposed to be like. When we're in darkness, we couldn't see the darkness. But now that we're in the light, we can see it. We have a torch in our hands. Someone who was... Part of the Christmas story was a godly man named Simeon, an old fella. He lived his life in expectation. It had been 400 years of silence, nothing was heard. And yet this fellow was living in expectation because of what? Because of a promise that God had given him. Now there was a man, and we read this in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was a good man. He was, what was he doing? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. There it is. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That's a very special revelation, isn't it? And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, I love these words. They're beautiful. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of not just me, not just this temple, not just Israel, but all of the nations, all of the nations. You get that? A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Praise be to God, right? Brothers and sisters, if, if you are not waiting for something more to come, not 
yearning, not leaning forward in, in eager expectation, waiting to open your present that God has prepared, standing on tiptoe for, for something better. If your heart has not been broken by the pain of injustice and suffering and death, I have to say that there's something wrong with your spiritual state. Only two possibilities remain. You've given up hope for anything better or you have settled down too comfortably with the present arrangements that heaven holds nothing better for you. What can possibly heaven have that I don't already have yet? And that's sad. The future belongs to those who wait in expectation. For those who know we are meant for something better. I came across this story. My wife and I were returning from holidays toward the end of one, uh, towards the end of November. And as we reached our own suburb, we heard excited cries from the back seat. It's Christmas! It's Christmas! Hooray! It's Christmas! Look, Dad, it's Christmas! There, behind the back seat, were my preschool-aged daughters, eyes wide open with wonder, beaming smile, pointing to a house ablaze with Christmas lights. So we drove by, and I tell you, if, if you've seen the, the Griswolds family Christmas, this was a repeat. There was hardly a blank spot on the walls or the roof. The entire house was covered with Christmas lights. But what were we to tell our daughters? It was still only the end of November. We had to explain that while the lights were up, it meant that Christmas was approaching. Christmas Day was still 30 sleeps away. And to preschoolers, 30 sleeps might as well be 30,000 sleeps. Similarly, Christ's coming at that first Christmas was the signal that God, God's kingdom was coming and it is here. But there's more to come. The lights are up. But it's still not here in its fullness and to our own time scale it seems like it's an eternity away. but we wait for his return. But though it may be sleeps away, the signs are there that our redemption is nearer today, is nearer this Christmas than it was last Christmas. Meanwhile, as our text says, we wait for it patiently. May God bless you. Amen.